Um, I should have said earlier that if you are a visitor, there's a contact card at the door there if you'd like to fill out and maybe just give it to myself or Bernard at the door on the way out. Now we're going to turn to Psalm 80. It's the following psalm to the one that we read. And they are connected. Psalm 79 is a song of lament about the destruction of the southern kingdom of Israel, uh, of Judah. And Psalm 80 is a song of lament by Asaph, and it's about the destruction of the northern uh, ten tribes in Israel. And we will look at this and just uh, go through this as we think about it. And again, I hope that you can see as we look at this how this is God's word to us today here in this situation, which is quite incredible really because this was written 2,750 years ago almost and uh, yet it's so applicable to us because it is the word of God. Now some of you, some of you, New Year is New Year, it's just another day. You will go to bed at night at your usual time of eight o'clock and you will wonder about these strange people who stay up because it's just another, I mean, pretty soon in Australia, it's already, they're already a year ahead. Um, there's quite a fascinating fact. Sorry, I just, I love these wee things that at um, 11.59 tonight and 59 seconds, there will occur a moment that will never occur again. And that is that every person under 17 at that point will have been born in the 21st century and every one of the rest of us will have been born in the 20th century. But sorry, that fascinates me. But um, these, these, these distinctions that we make, for me, New Year is hugely important because 2018, it's, we're going into a new year, obviously. And there's new opportunities and so on. And I love the fact that we always celebrate communion just before New Year because communion for me is hugely important because it is about renewal and uh, almost a new beginning. So what I want you to do is to think about the situations that are important to you just now, the situations you face as we enter into this new year. In this psalm, God's people are faced with an enemy who is winning, a God who appears to be angry, and a church that is failing. This is a lament for the northern kingdom. We uh, will read Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, um, the tribes that were linked with Joseph. In fact, let's read these first few verses. Uh, Verses one to three. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. That refrain there at the end, make your face shine on us that we may be saved, is used several times during this song. And and this is our prayer that God's face would shine upon us. It's used in verse 1, verse 3, verse 7, and verse 19. It's contrasted with the rebuke of verse 16, where uh, God's face is turned away from his people. At your rebuke, your people perish. It's a plea for God not just to restore, which is how the NIV translates it, but for God to turn to us. This is asking God to turn to us. Now, 
Let me explain what that means. Human, the human face is incredible. Every, every face is absolutely unique. And no matter who you are, you can be a stonewall, you can have a poker face, you can do whatever, but your face reveals who you are and what you're thinking, which is really bad news when I look at you when I'm preaching, because <laughs> I can tell. You know, you can mask it, you can hide it, but you can't really. And our face tells us... Um, Sometimes it's really hard. I, I have, um, Emma Jane always gets so embarrassed when she's visiting and I mention her name, but she's visiting and I'll mention her name just to continue a good old tradition. But sometimes I used to try and give Emma Jane a row and I used to try and be really angry with her. And then, uh, and I wasn't all that angry. And she would just look at me and then that kind of, I, I, I couldn't stop but smile. And she knew that then I wasn't really angry. And people used to say, other members of my family, that she had me wrapped like that. Um, but you can't, your face betrays you. You can't help. I mean, you give someone a row and you're smiling at them. It doesn't really work all that well. When you see someone and they smile at you, it's, I mean, the human smile is just an absolutely uh, uh, amazing thing. And you know the fake grins as well, and the, the, but the real thing. And here, this image is being used of God smiling upon us, or God turning his back against us. And I think that the most important issue, whatever, however you would answer that first question about what are the issues you face going into this new year, the most important issue for me and for you is your relationship with God. Some will feel like the Israelites felt, that God had abandoned them, that his back was turned towards them, that they felt cold and distant and far away. And their only plea could be this plea, oh, restore us, O oh God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. <coughs> to lose the light of God's face, to lose the sense of his presence is the worst possible thing. When you have tasted and seen that God is good, to lose that is a dreadful thing. There are some things that, that it's only when you experience them that you then realize what you're missing. Um, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, and I'm sorry, this is not the greatest illustration, but it's the one that comes to mind. Uh, we have a daughter in Australia, and we visited her, and if you travel economy class, 31 hours cramped in a plane that's built for midgets, no, that's just not my idea of fun. It's awful. Uh, and then you get upgraded to business class. And I have no idea what first class is like, but business class, you get a bed. You get free food and free drink, and they give you pajamas, at least in Emirates. They give you pajamas as well, which we've still got, by the way. They're that good. And uh, uh, our household is filled with Emirates pajamas uh, for that. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. See, when you've done that, the thought of going back to like common, you know, or cattle truck or whatever class. It's just awful because you've tasted and you've, 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 you've seen, you've experienced something different. You've got off a plane to Australia refreshed. And you think, oh, oh please, don't let me do that again. The, the economy, the business, yes. In fact, if you want to put me up to first, let's try that one as well and see what it's like. Well, there's a sense in which so many people, and you may be one of these people, 
you've never experienced what the presence of God is like. But when you have experienced it, you do not want to go back to not having it. And that has what happened here. So we're going to think about this in terms of ourselves, our families, this church, maybe the whole church throughout Dundee, Scotland, the UK, and, and God's world. And these first verses, they, they, they talk about God. All the verses, all the stanzas in this song talk about the God whose presence they want to experience. And here he's described as a shepherd king. Quoting from Genesis 48, remember this is a, to the tribes of Joseph, Manasseh, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. God is the shepherd of his people. And the shepherd was someone who was close. The shepherd was someone who was connected. This was not mass industrial farming. The shepherd knew his sheep. But here... The psalmist's complaint is God's shepherd appears distant. Where is the shepherd? God is the sun, but the sun is not shining. Here, when it speaks of God shining, it's talking about God's glory made visible. Shine between the tribes. And yet, here's the extraordinary thing. Here is a prayer, a plea that God would shine between the tribes. Yet the tribes of Manasseh, Benjamin, and Ephraim at this point... Well, Benjamin had probably allied with Judah, but Ephraim and Manasseh had gone. They did not exist as independent tribes anymore. And yet God is asking, or the psalmist is asking, that God would shine. And the reference here is to Exodus 25, verse 17, where in making furnishing for the temple... The Israelites are told, make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other looking towards the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant Law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So you see the image, the picture? This marvelous Ark of the Covenant and it's covered over by the cherubim facing one another with their wings and God promises, there I'll meet with you, there I'll tell you, there you will see my glory. And now the temple destroyed in Judah the tribes destroyed in northern Israel. And the cry is, shine forth between the cherubim. It must have seemed such an impossible prayer to pray. So difficult. Let me take just a slight diversion for a minute. And the cherubim, we think of angels and so on. And let me say a little bit about angels. I still find it fascinating that you can go into Waterstones or into any bookshop, go to the religious section, you will find more books on angels than you will find on Jesus. Why? Because you think, oh, angels, I'm really into angels, and this is, a, you know. And I believe in angels, absolutely. I really do. But angels can't save us, and angels can't bring us to God. The angels 
cover their faces before the glory of God, before Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who saves us. And what we want to see is the glory of God shining. Now, we've just celebrated Christmas. And in the passage about the shepherds being told, we're told that the angels shone with a a light in the sky that overwhelmed the shepherds. But that's nothing compared with the glory of God being revealed. And here's the most astonishing thing. I believe in the past year, there have been times in this building, in this church, where we've been very conscious of the presence of the glory of God. And it's indescribable. I long for it so much more. I pray that in 2018, that what we've experienced in 2017 will be seen as just the drops, the first drops of a mighty shower that will come. We need the light of God to shine in our hearts, to shine in our fellowship, to shine in our city, to overcome the darkness. Turn us again, not just restore, but turn us again. It's not just about material prosperity. It's not just about political independence for Israel or Judah um, or your politics. You might want Scotland to be independent or you might want the UK to be independent of the, the EU or whatever. But it's not about that. It's about life and spiritual life. And I want to apply that to us. Sometimes, and I say this as a minister of God's word, sometimes I can read God's word and I can teach God's word, but sometimes I can feel that God is very distant. Now, I've told you many times, you don't rely on your feelings. But I tell you this, it's not a pleasant feeling. You do not like it. It is something that you want. It's something you want to know and experience the presence of God. We're we're not people who follow just a book. We're people who, that book is the living word of God that brings us to Jesus. And we want to know the presence of Christ. As we sit at his table, as we share together, as we pray and so on. As a church... We need to know the presence of God more. The the worst thing possible is for us to meet to worship on a Sunday and God doesn't show up. That's why we pray. We pray, Lord, come amongst us. I've told you, some of you, this story before, but it to me indicates what we're looking for. The story is told of, um, it's actually, it was told of McShane. I don't know if it's true or not. It sounds like McShane, that his vestry was through in the back there and, um, they used to have a beadle who would take the Bible in and uh, went through why had the minister not appeared. Um, uh, you'll have noticed the tradition in this church is we always start everything exactly on time. And so they were concerned that uh, one minute past 11, he hadn't turned up. So he went and he heard him talking and he thought, well, there's somebody in with him. And then he realized he was praying and he opened the door and the minister was on his knees. McShane was on his knees saying, I'm not going. I'm not going unless you go with me. And that's what we need. We need that spirit. We need, in, in the world in which we live in, to try and be a Christian in this world, to try and be a church in this world. It's always been the case, but I think it's particularly evident to us that it is impossible without God being with us, without God shining upon us. Let me apply this also in another way. Our national leaders, our nation, Scotland, the United Kingdom, whatever. Our our trust is not in our leaders. 
Do you know in this past year, do you remember Theresa May with her bus saying basically not vote for the Conservative Party, but vote for me, I'm the leader, and then the humiliation she suffered? Or think of Nicola Sturgeon at the SECC with 10,000 people almost worshipping her. Or think of Jeremy Corbyn at Glastonbury. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Now, I'm not making a political point about any of these. They are leaders who are to be respected. But if you put your faith and trust in political leaders, you are going to be sorely, sorely disappointed and disillusioned. And not just here in the world. Think of Mugabe, who said that he would reign forever. No, he won't reign forever. Think in China just now of Xi Jinping, who this past year has made himself almost the dictator of China. Think of Donald Trump or Angela Merkel, who, who would have thought at the beginning of 2017 that at the end of 2017, Angela Merkel couldn't form a government in Germany. You know, the most powerful, strongest, most stable leader in the world, as people saw. Think of the Iranian mullahs right now who must be very scared at the protests that are occurring. There are people on the streets of Tehran today saying we don't worship Islam. That's astonishing. How, how does God, how, what's going on in all of that? I'll tell you what's going on. We need to have a bigger vision, a greater vision. We need to respect our political leaders, but we need to pray that God would work, that God would shine. Then let's go on to verses four to seven. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You've fed them with the bread of tears. You've made them drink tears by the bowlful. You've made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. God is the redeemer. God is the provider. I will free you, he said to the Israelites. I will redeem you. And yet here are God's people seeming to be back in captivity. Instead of the shining face, there's the darkness of smoke, smolder, smoke, and indicative of the holiness of God. Exodus 19, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Or Isaiah 6 verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So instead of the, the sunshine of God's smile upon them, there's this smoke which is indicative of the, the anger of God against injustice and wrong. Instead of the green pastures and the overflowing cup of Psalm 23, there is here the cup of tears and the bread of tears. And it talks about it being in full measure, which is basically tears by the liter. Terrible things had been done to the Israelites, but the Israelites looked and they saw God at least permitting these things, using agents to do these things to them. You fed us with the bread of tears. I'm sure most of you had a Christmas meal. Imagine sitting down for your Christmas meal. They say that Christmas is a time of great family tension. Um, uh, I hope you've forgiven everybody who caused you tension at Christmas. It's a time of joy and peace. Remember that and be joyful and peaceful or you'll get smacked. Uh, was one injunction I heard at one point in my sad life. But 
sometimes they're not. Sometimes they can really be dreadful. You know, um, Dickens' story of Tiny Tim, you know, and the, the whole the Christmas carol thing. Well, sometimes you sit at a feast and instead of getting a feast of joy, you end up with a feast of tears. God's people were made an object of derision and mockery. When Owen prayed, there are people for whom, you know, always at this time of year you get these ridiculous gifts and stuff and, and truisms. 2018 is a year of prosperity and blessing and greatness and so on. You always get that. And then you look back. Imagine you got that in 2017 and then over 2017 you look back and you say, yes, but I experienced illness. I experienced death. I lost my job. I suffered from depression. I heard that I got cancer. These things all occurred. Where's this prosperity in this piece? And some of you will look back and you'll say, you know, as I can recall, at the end of 2017, I was so conscious of the presence of God. At uh, the end of 2016, I was so conscious of the presence of God. And now at the end of 2017, I wonder where he's gone. And it is, it seems, sometimes a time of tears. And yet God is our provider. And that's why he says, shine forth. Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. I think that's personal. I think it's in the church. There's a danger in the church that we can say we are rich and have need of nothing. Here's the paradox. God has blessed this church enormously. But the minute you start feeling proud about it, or I start feeling proud about it, we're fun. We're done. We're finished. We're empty. We need to realize this. We are empty. We are naked. We are blind. We are not like the Laodiceans, I hope who say that they were rich and have need of nothing. Oh, we have need of so many things. In our country, in our city, think of this. Nobody knows what's going to happen. I read something interesting this week. Every economic forecaster, Goldman Sachs, the Royal Bank of Scotland, the city, the IMF, Every single one of them made predictions about Britain's economy in 2017, and every single one of them got it majorly wrong. Apparently, we're a lot better off than we said we were going to be. No one knows. We don't know. But we know this. Prosperity comes from the Lord, and our times are in his hands. And so we cry out, whether we feel we have plenty or whether we feel we are in want, we cry out that God would shine upon us and that even though we've experienced the bread of tears that though night brings morning yet joy comes in the morning let's go on to the next verses verse 8 to verse 14 where God is provide is spoken of not just as the shepherd king or the provider but the gardener, or at least the vineyard tender, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravages and insects, insects from the field feast on it. It was prophesied that Joseph would be a fruitful vine. We don't do a lot of vineyard keeping in uh, Dundee, 
although I think if you go out into Errol, there's some vineyards there and wine made. Um, But the vine needs a lot of care. Isaiah 5, verses 1 to 7, talks about this vine has been destroyed, and it's been destroyed from within. The vine of God's people had spread under David and Solomon, and as it says in in the text, it had gone from the Mediterranean, which is the sea, to the river Euphrates. And I don't know if you noticed, but in the text there, it, it says that this very small vine grew so big it covered the mountains. But then it shrank, and it shrank, and it shrank, until at the time of writing, when Samaria had fallen to Assyria in the year 722, and Jerusalem to Babylon in the year 586, it was basically gone. And they had become an unprotected enclave. The hedges and the walls had been broken down. The wild animals came in. The wild boar was the fiercest of creatures. Uh, If you travel up north at this time of year, you will see that the deer come down from the hills. And you have to watch sometimes on on the A9. But you'll notice that there's no forest unless there's a deer fence. Because the deer destroy the forest. And you need a a balance that's created in there. Well, what's being told here is that God's people would be destroyed if God did not put a shield around them. God did not put walls around them. God did not protect them. And the psalmist is lamenting that that wall has been cut down. And now the boars of the forest, the insects, anyone can come in and attack and destroy. The vine also speaks of growth and without the sun shining upon us we cannot grow but I think here the vine talks to something else because there was a tendency for the Israelites to see themselves as the vine but what did Jesus say I am the true vine I am the true vine and I'm sure he was thinking of this passage and other Isaiah 5 and other passages in the Old Testament so again Think about it in this way. Again, we prayed for growth. Owen prayed for growth. He prayed that we would know spiritual growth, and that's what we want. Um, I, I want to see uh, numerical growth as well. Why? Because it just means more people coming to know Jesus. But we need that growth within us, and how are we going to grow in ourselves, in our family, in the church? The Bible tells us, my father is the gardener, and every branch he loves He prunes. You ask God to make you grow. You are asking God to work within you. And you're asking God to work within you. Sometimes that is incredibly painful. But also incredibly liberating. We pray that individually. We pray it as a church. We pray it as a society. Across city and country. Our politicians think only in terms of growth being uh, economic. David Cameron did try to have a happiness index. It's gone completely do you know what they keep saying there was a happiness survey done of cities in the UK apparently Dundee's the most miserable city to be in well I laughed when I heard that because I thought that I'm sorry but for me that's not true but you know how they evaluate happiness by how much you earn by what kind of house you live in and everything else that's not how you evaluate happiness economics is important but it's not everything We pray for God's face to shine upon our nation and upon the nations of the world. Do you know the riots or the protests in Iran just now? You know one of the reasons for them? This will never be reported. 
but it's reckoned that between half a million and one million Iranian Muslims have become Christians over the past decade. That has an impact. It cannot but have an impact. Or in China just now, why are the Chinese Communist Party chopping down church spires in Shanghai? Why? Because there are now more Chinese Christians than there are members of the Chinese Communist Party. There are more than 100 million, and they want to stop it, and they can't stop the vine growing. Or in Africa, there are 400 million Christians in Africa. God's vine will not be stopped. You see, when this psalm was written, the people thought, well, it's us, it's this tiny nation of Israel, and it's the one that's reached out. But no, it, it, is, it is God's people throughout all the ages. And it is incredible how the church continues to grow and flourish and prosper. And we want that in our own land as well. And then finally, verses 15 to 19. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Notice that. Changes from the vine to the sun. And again, think of Jesus. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. It's the final plea. God, you planted this vine. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. It's your plan. We can't see what's going on. And what's happening is the psalmist is doing what we should do, pleading the promises of God. When I look at the state of the church in Scotland, I weep, honestly. I hear statements from church leaders and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Jesus died for this? No, he didn't. Maybe Jesus died because of this. But not to create this. This is what we've become. I think of the great things in, 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 in Scottish church history and how God has blessed this nation. Do you know that the city of Dundee was once known as the Geneva of the North, not because we were the prettiest city in the Switzerland of Scotland, but because we were such a godly city. Now, that is not the case. And yet, we believe that God did bless for a reason and for a purpose. And we, we say, God, turn us again. We are your people. Rachel, when she died in childbirth, she called her son as she was dying, Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. Imagine having that as your name for the rest of your life. You caused your mother's death, inverted commas. And you, you say, I'm, I'm son of my sorrow. This won't cause my mother to die but his father renamed him Benjamin, son of my right hand. That's what's referred to here. The man at your right hand. I love that link in verse 15 because the way that the Hebrew is, son can also mean an offshoot of a vine. And that's what happened. Nobody at this time could have foreseen that the Son of God, Jesus, would come as a human being and he would be the offshoot who would become the true vine who would give salvation to the whole world at just the right time. When the time, when the set time had fully come, Galatians 4.4, Paul says this, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And so there's a plea 
to revive us and call upon your name. And that's where I want to to finish because there is only one vine, one church of God, the northern tribes in Judah and so on. There is only one church of God, not in denominational terms. We share with believers of every denomination and we have nothing to do Nothing in common with non-believers in every denomination. The church is filled with non-believers. That's not what's being referred to here. It's just saying we are one church. And we pray that God would prosper and bless the churches in Dundee where his word is proclaimed and his word is preached. We are not in competition with other churches. But we will never, ever, ever for the sake of a false peace, turn away from the gospel and the word of God and and go along with churches which deny and turn against that word. Because Jesus is the vine and Jesus is the shepherd. And our plea, and maybe we'll go on, can we go on to the last slide, is this. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Make that your prayer for 2018. There's a Gallic proverb, which I'll quote in English due to my extensive knowledge of Gallic. During distress, God comes, and when he comes, it is no more distress. I would like a year, just from a personal point of view, I'd like a year, I was praying this morning, Lord, I'd like a year where it's just nice not to experience any sickness. Maybe that's just going to be in heaven. But I'll tell you this, I would rather have sickness and know the presence of God than be healthy and not know the presence of God. Honestly, that is the truth. That is my experience and that's the reality. Life, for me to live, Maria read this in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you don't have Christ, life is not worth living. We need the smile of Jesus. We need the radiant love that shines from his face. Leslie will forgive me for saying this. We're going to welcome Leslie as a member in the congregation. But when she had that awful ordeal of coming into a room full of men, all who are elders, to ask her questions about her faith, do you know what was the loveliest thing? Was to hear Leslie say, I've learned so much about the love of Jesus. That's it. That's all. You don't have to recite the whole Bible, the Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Confession. Handy to know these things, but they're all to point you to the love of Jesus. The smile of Jesus. The thief, says Jesus, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As we take communion, we remember the good shepherd, the king of kings, the true vine, the son of man. He came to die for our sins and to give our life. Give us life. May God grant us all true repentance, individually, as a church, as a city, as a nation, as indeed his church throughout the world. I leave you with this from Psalm 27. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord 
and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would grant us this one thing, that we would know your presence, that your face would shine upon us. O oh Lord, shine forth from between the cherubim. Come to your broken people, to your broken church. Come to those who are distraught and weary and cold. Come to those who've wandered away and grant, O oh God, that we may see your glory. And especially we pray for those who as yet do not know you, that they would come to see the beauty and glory of Jesus. In your name, amen. We're going to sing part of this psalm, Psalm 80. Um, maybe as we sing this, someone can go through and uh, tell the older children, the Sunday school, they want to come back through as we take the communion. Uh, we're going to sing... Uh, verses 1 to 7 and 15 to 19, and the tune is Philandia. Hear us, O Israel shepherd. Let's stand and sing to God's praise. <clears throat> Hear us, O Israel shepherd. 